In the book of Luke, we read about the most exciting event to ever happen in our world, the birth of Christ. Luke's gospel lays out a story filled with anticipation, intrigue, wonder, and hope-filled news for humankind. It was the day when God's great plan of salvation and redemption was irrevocably launched. And as we look to the cast of characters God gathered together, our eyes are open to a new response, focus, and growth in the Christmas season. As we begin to understand, like the shepherds, the joy that comes with receiving the truth of Christ. This morning, we light the third candle of Advent, the candle of joy. The light of the candle reminds us today that the darkness of this world's brokenness is pushed back by the radiance of supernatural joy. Jesus came and will come again, the true joy giver. The shepherds experienced supernatural joy when they saw the wonder of God's provision. This life-changing joy began when they first heard of Jesus, and the joy grew as they met Jesus. Joy begins for us the same way it began for the shepherds. It begins with meeting Jesus. Without that foundation, how can we hope to have lasting joy? Very few things last forever. An encounter with Jesus, however, remains and grows throughout our lifetime. Meeting Jesus never stops impacting, shaping, and transforming our lives. It never stops giving us hope and opportunities of joy. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, May God, may the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the true answer for hope, peace, and joy in this season and for eternity. Let us pray. Father, Thank you for this gift that is unlike any other gift that has ever been given. Thank you for sending your Son to save us from our sins. Help us to never forget what a wonderful and amazing gift our salvation really is. Fill us with your hope and joy, a joy so complete and overwhelming that we, like the shepherds, are compelled to share it with others. We are thankful for the certainty of heaven in Jesus. But until that day, we, like the shepherds, will choose to glorify and praise you. We will continue to rejoice in who you and all that you have done. We thank you and praise you. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
This morning we're in our third week of Advent as we listen to the voices of the cast of Christmas. And it's the candle of joy and the voice of the shepherds. Rather than listening to the soloists, we're listening to the choir this year and what they had to say. So this morning I want to go on the defense of the shepherds. Traditionally, we have characterized the shepherds as uncouth, uneducated commoners, a working class that really were the lowest on the social ladder and that the angels came to them. Well, again, I want to reframe that picture. It wasn't an angelic choir singing to a bunch of lowlifes. It was rather the army of God speaking to a group of people that I'll show you in a while were some of God's champions. Here's typically what you find written about the shepherds, that they were social outcasts, poor, uneducated, uncultured, uncouth. If you were with your family walking through town, you would go to the other side of the street to avoid them. They were rough characters in the small town on the fringe of society, so much so that their testimony was not even admissible in court. The shepherds, another blog says, were religious outsiders. Their work was considered ceremonially unclean. They were not allowed into the temple courts or to be an active part of temple worship. Religious leaders often considered them on the same level as prostitutes. So when it came to the religion of the day, they were always on the outside looking in. Here then, God is inviting a group of guys who have been on the outside looking in the entirety of their lives and putting them at the top of the invite list for the most important birthday of all time. And that makes for a great message, except it's not historically supportable. It's not defendable. It's not even biblically defendable when you begin to look at what the Scripture says. When we, however we characterize the shepherds, we'll interpret our understanding of that event. And I think we need to look at them a little bit differently. Think about it this way. The Lord is pictured as a shepherd searching for his sheep. Does it make sense that God would choose an image of his son searching for us that's equivalent to a prostitute? Doesn't, it doesn't make sense in what we would call systematic theology. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. What is that? It's a warm, comforting, encouraging word. Give ear, shepherd of Israel, thou who dost lead Joseph like a flock, is um, stated by David. The prophet Isaiah says, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. Isaiah 40, verse 11. Then Jeremiah cries out, he who scattered Israel will gather them and keep them as a shepherd keeps his flock. Jesus is the good shepherd in the New Testament. His ministers are described as under shepherds. And so I've struggled for years with this idea that, that God would choose a title that was descriptive of the uncouth, the uncivilized, or the uncultured. Where does that come from? Well, the truth of the matter, besides Aristotle and one statement in the Mishnah, the bulk of the quotes used to demonstrate that the shepherds were despised is taken from the Babylonian Talmud. That's where it comes from, and then it gets incorporated, and it joins Facebook, and then it becomes gospel. <laughs> if you tell an untruth long enough with enough conviction, it becomes the truth in most people's minds. You'll be hard-pressed to find, and I looked for, any source from first-century Israel, any source from first-century Israel that describes shepherds as societal outcasts. 
you will not find it. The viewpoint of the shepherds being uncouth and uncultured even in the Talmud happens later after the events of Luke chapter 2. So it's unreliable information and should be discarded when interpreting the Gospels. Okay? The New Testament tells us that the shepherds were chosen by God and had a story to tell, a story of great joy. And I go back to that moment when the not the satin robe choir, but the military arrayed army appears in the heavens and makes a military proclamation that God is about to intervene and rescue the world. And I think this is probably the expression the shepherds had at that moment. I just think that captured it. Thank you. That's a product placement from... The McGinnis Photo Studio, so no, just thank you for letting me use that picture. I just love that. He looks perpetually surprised, and I think that's kind of how they looked, in awe and wonder. So let's talk about the shepherds and what this story tells us. It begins with this understanding, let us go and see. Let us go and see. When the angels had left them, Luke chapter 2 is where we're at if you want to follow along. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, now watch. Listen to this for a moment. If they're uncouth, uncultured, unspiritual outcasts, why would they accept immediately the truth of the angelic proclamation? They did not say, let us go find out whether or not this is true. They didn't say, let's go investigate the veracity of the story. They said, let us go and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. There was this thing called immediate obedience. Unbelievers, outcasts, don't respond with immediate obedience. In fact, regular churchgoers don't always respond with immediate obedience. I'm absolutely convinced that the secret to faith is learning how to respond to the voice of God immediately, not later. That when the Spirit of God moves in a congregation and you feel that tug on your heart, you want to respond now. And people who say, well, I'll respond later, never do or rarely do. And so the whole thrust is what it means to respond immediately. Let us go see this thing that has happened. Rod Loy wrote a book called Immediate Obedience. And in the flyleaf it says this. Listen and obey were the words that transformed Rod Loy's relationship with God. He wondered what would happen if he became more sensitive to the voice of God and immediately obeyed whatever God told him to do. Think about how we were taught to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do you think the will of God is done in heaven? That God issues a decree and the angels say, well, let us think about it. Or perhaps they say, has this gone through committee? Has this gone through the attorneys? Have you considered doing it this way? When God expresses his will in heaven, it is responded to immediately without question. And that indicates a heart that's hearing him and responding to him. In church, I want to encourage you that if you want to find a deeper place in God and a greater walk with him, quit arguing with him. 
and start obeying him. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Stop arguing and start obeying. Start responding. How did the shepherds obey? They responded immediately. Why did they obey so quickly? Because there was an element of faith. Now, let me take you one more step with this. Is there anywhere in Scripture that God reveals himself to people who are unrepentant? No. Does he ever reveal himself to people who don't have faith? No. Who does he reveal himself to? People that have been seeking him. People that have been responding to him. People that have hearts of faith. He responds always to faith. And the fact that God chose them wasn't a lesson that God will respond to those who are not spiritual, but rather should tell us that something supernatural was happening to those shepherds on that Judean hillside that we miss in the story because we're not Jews and we don't live in Bible times. So when you do a little bit of research, here's what you discover from the Mishnah. These shepherds were not ordinary shepherds. They were extraordinary shepherds. These shepherds outside Bethlehem were called Levitical shepherds. They were chosen and trained. Now watch this. What was their job? Those shepherds on that hillside outside of Bethlehem. They were chosen and trained as priests to attend to the flock of sheep that were to be used as sacrificial lambs in the temple. What were they doing? They were not involved in commerce taking care of sheep that would be part of the economic thrust of the area. These were priests that were taking care of the sheep that watched over those lambs that had to be perfect that would be the sacrificial offering. How do we know that? We know that because of the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a group of documents that were recorded oral tradition that governed the Jewish people during the time of the Pharisees. And here's what one of the regulations of the Mishnah states. It expressly forbids keeping flocks throughout the land of Israel except in the wilderness. And the only flocks otherwise kept would be for those would be those for the temple services. The Mishnah is very clear. Any sheep that were not being used for sacrifice could not be kept in the vicinity of Bethlehem. They had to be in the further out regions of the wilderness. These shepherds were in the fields surrounding Bethlehem where, and not in the wilderness where regular sheep were kept, so they had to have been priests. Is anybody hearing me? These were priests. So when they say they're outcasts, that's, that's craziness. And even if they had been unclean, there was always a way to be made clean where they could come into worship. None of it makes any sense. And when you dig a little deeper, you find, what were they doing? What was their job? These priests were shepherds. What a picture of Jesus Christ. And they're watching over the lambs that would be used as a sacrifice, which was a type of the coming Messiah. They lived their lives taking care of the sacrifice. Their hearts were tuned toward God. Their job was to watch for the Messiah to come. When their ministry would become irrelevant, they were wrapped up in that. Don't you think there was some discussion about the lambs and about the sacrifice and all that would be involved in that? Waiting, praying, meditating, because God responds not to unbelief, 
God responds not to lukewarmness. God responds not to tradition. God always responds to faith. And when you see God showing up in a supernatural way, that's proof that faith is being released and God shows up in supernatural power. I preached some time ago about a sovereign move of God. I've come to believe there is no sovereign move of God like we understand it. We talk about a sovereign move of God as though we're minding our own business and we're just kind of playing church and all of a sudden God shows up. That does not happen. Any sovereign move of God in history has been a response to the praying people of God. Any sovereign move of God in revival was not a surprise to everybody because you will always find a company that were praying, that were fasting, that were seeking God, that were storming the gates of heaven in behalf of their nation, repenting for the sins. And God then shows up as a response to people who are people of faith that love him and are seeking him. These were a group of men that had gathered to guard the sacrifice. You see, believing what you see and hear Seeing and hearing isn't enough. <laughs> Let us go and experience. <laughs> hearing the message and seeing God touch someone won't help you. Hearing the message and watching people get touched won't help you. Every one of us should be saying, I want some of that. I want some of that. I love the line in the concert Friday night um, when uh, Mark Schultz was talking about him being adopted and his dad standing there in that adoption moment just saying, I'm all in. What would happen if we as priestly shepherds stood before the manger this morning and said, we're all in. 100% instant obedience. We are all in. We believe you. We're going to pursue you. We're believing you for this to happen. We need to experience it for ourselves. Let us go. And that is always the message. You've got to go and experience what he's done. Then second, it's let us Go and tell. <laughs> I'm getting blessed. You look like you're about wore out, but I, I, I've had a long month last week. <laughs> I had a long week yesterday. But I'm telling you what, if you'll let, listen, this is what I believe right now. I feel a prophetic word in my spirit that, there, that God is ready to release joy into your life if you'll simply take the lid off of your heart and let him pour that in this morning. And those of you that are experiencing the oil of mourning, the, the darkness and struggle, there is peace in the midst of the storm. There is joy in the middle of the trial. And this is the Sunday of joy. This message of good news is for all of us. And he wants to release joy into our lives. And once you've experienced that, then it's time to go and tell. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They spread the word. 
Who told them to? What class did they attend? Who did their training? Who scheduled Thursday night outreach? How did they know? What did the angel say? This is good news for all people. If the good news came to the shepherds and they've experienced it, it's not instant obedience till you start fulfilling every part of the declaration, you start telling all people. They knew that they had to go. There was a compulsion. You can't keep people quiet who've experienced the joy of the Lord. And I don't care if you're an extrovert and you're going to stand on a table in a school cafeteria or an introvert and you're going to trap someone in a corner one-on-one, whatever you're wired, there's something in the heart of the child of God that when you've experienced the joy of the Lord, you got to tell somebody. you got to tell somebody. It's got to get out of you. But I began to think about that. All who heard it were amazed. Now, the way we normally tell the story, there's really nothing to be amazed at other than the angels. But the story they told wasn't about the angels. It was about the child. And the way we tell the story is that a baby was born in a stable in an overcrowded town during a time of census and the baby was wrapped in cloths. That's not amazing. That's normal. The town is full. There's nowhere to stay. So these shepherds are going around saying, Bethlehem was overcrowded, there was no room in the inn, and we found a couple in a, in a stable, which probably most likely was a cave, and they had laid their newborn baby in a manger and wrapped him in cloths. And people are going to go, wow. They're going to say, so what? Unless, I know I'm going to get stoned after this service because I'm ruining your Christmas story. <laughs> Unless, <laughs> I'm about to get excited. Pastor Tim, I know what I'm going to say next and I can't really stand it. <laughs> Unless, There's more to the story. I wanted to preach the story this way and every now and then say, but wait, there's more. (laughs) There's more to this story. What would it be? (laughs) I researched this. It's not from Facebook. (laughs) I'm going to read it to you because I don't want to mess it up. When the mother you was preparing to give birth, She was taken to a special birthplace or to the only cave designated to give birth to sacrificial lambs. This cave was kept sterile and clean for the arrival of newborn sacrificial lambs. The newborn lamb was immediately wrapped in clean swaddling clothes. Is anybody hearing me yet? To protect the lamb from blemish and danger. Swaddling clothes described in the Bible consisted of a cloth tied together by bandage-like strips. When the declaration was made to these Levitical shepherds, 
that watched their sheep in a special field full of sacrificial lambs, they apparently knew exactly where to go to find the baby. There's no discussion about where is this baby. There's no star to lead them. How did they know which stable to go to? There were apparently many places that held mangers, but they knew immediately where to find the babe, to the cave where their sacrificial lambs were born and wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now watch. When that Levitical shepherd walks into that sterile cave and sees a baby wrapped like the hundreds of lambs they have wrapped laying in that manger, they're seeing a baby wrapped just like the sacrificial lambs laying in a sacrificial manger that's destined to be sacrificed on the altar of God. And with that, there would be awe and wonder. Now imagine as they travel and tell the story, we were told that there would be a babe in the manger when we got there. There was a baby lying in the manger that we use for the sacrificial lambs, wrapped just like we wrap the sacrificial lambs. I'm telling you that the fulfillment of the promises of God has come. There's a baby born in Bethlehem that will save the world from their sins. And they were amazed at the story they heard. That's an amazing story. You say, are you making it up? No. Someone else did. No. <laughs> when you read historically what was happening and put the pieces together, that would have been obvious to a Jew in that day. We missed that part of the story. They knew exactly where to go. They found a baby wrapped just like the sacrificial lambs. And angels told them about it. And now they're telling the story, that'd be an easy one to tell. Do you know why we don't tell the stories? Because we're not amazed. We don't tell the story because we're not amazed. I'm not talking about the nativity story. I'm talking about the story of Jesus changing us and saving us. And there's a reason why church growth in America is being driven by new church planting is because when new believers find Jesus, they're amazed. Talk to a drug addict who no longer has the urge. They'll be amazed. Talk to a murderer who feels that load lifted. You'll find they are amazed. Talk about those who have been released from their bondage of sin, and they're amazed. We've been here too long. We've forgotten the amazement and wonder of the salvation experience. And if we'd capture that again, we'd have to tell everyone else to glory to God and laugh. What an incredible story. I, I read that. I dug a little deeper and dug a little deeper. And I sat at my desk and just wept when I, when I put myself in the place of those shepherds. And they walked into that, that stable. And they saw a baby, a, a human baby wrapped just like they wrapped the sacrificial lambs. That's what swaddling clothes were used for. And everyone who heard it was amazed. When I teach on evangelism, I make everyone in my class at the Iowa School of Ministry do a cardboard testimony. How many know what cardboard testimonies are? Anybody know what those are? Some of you know what those are. How many don't know? Uh, how many of you know what cardboard is? <laughs> About half. I know it's rough. 
On one side of the cardboard, you write what you were. On the other side, you write what you are. Hope Ministries did that. I don't know if they do that every year, but I know they did it one year around Copper Creek. And you'd walk around, and all of these guys that were, had been reached for the kingdom stood there with cardboard, and on one side, it would say addicted. On the other side, it says free. On one side, it says molested. On the other side, it says healed. On one side, it says liar. On the other side, it says truth teller. And in that, there's a story of amazement in two words. You turn a world upside down and a life is changed and it stirs our hearts. What would you say in two words tells your story? I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was rejected, but now I'm accepted. I was bullied, but now I'm restored. What would your story be? That's what this world needs to hear, is how that babe in a manger became the sacrifice for mankind and saved this world from their sins. You don't have to like this one. I'm loving it. We have a story to tell. Do you know why then in verse 19 of chapter 2? <laughs> Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know that this baby boy would someday change the nations? Mary, did you know that when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God? Do you think those shepherds were talking when they came into the stable? I'm sure they were. They were amazed. And Mary is watching and listening and hearing what they're saying and kept all these things. What's all these things? The visit of the shepherds has to be more than that. She kept all these things. And that was before the wise men ever got there. She kept all these things. My son is wrapped like a sacrificial lamb. The shepherd priests are here and they recognize him as the sacrificial lamb. All of a sudden, the moment when the angel spoke to her and said that, that she would conceive a child with the Holy Spirit and the rejection and the ridicule and everything she had to go through begins to make sense that God has a plan bigger than my moment, bigger than this time of confusion. God is really doing something here. Kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. There was a story to tell. The world needs to hear our story. Let us go and see. Let us go and tell. And then let us go back to work. <laughs> The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 
Are you ready now? I'm going to get really ordinary and lead you right into a place of depression. Supernatural revelations will call you back to your daily grind. Listen to me. You got to hear me. Christianity is not about living on the mountaintop. It's about living on the mountaintop for a moment and going back into the valley to minister where there is need. Too many Christians spend their life running from one experience to another. They need a thrill. They need a high. I've heard people in the drug culture days saying, Jesus is the greatest high I ever experienced. I don't need Jesus to be my high. I need Jesus to be my Monday. Are you hearing me now? Because when you've experienced him on the mountaintop, you're going to go back to your job. But you know what will happen? You'll go back to your menial job praising and glorifying God. They'll see you in the workplace. How do you go back on Monday after a Sunday where God liberated you and you experienced his glory and you saw Jesus in the manger? You go back glorifying and praising God and you do what? You change the workplace because you've been at the manger. Whoo, that'll preach. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. You change the workplace. Christianity isn't about living on the high. Christianity is about experiencing his high and taking it back into everyday living. I am convinced we're losing a generation because what happens in the auditorium doesn't happen in the living room. We need, to, we need to have the same faith expressed at home that we express here. How many are hearing what I'm saying? I'm not suggesting you have to line up your children and their teddy bears and sing hymns. Because it's communicated differently, but it will change the home. Listen, if your experience with God doesn't make you a better husband, you didn't experience God. If your experience with God doesn't make you a better wife, you didn't experience God. If your experience with God doesn't make you a better child in the household, you didn't experience God. If it doesn't make you a better boss, you didn't experience God. If it doesn't make you a better employee, you didn't experience God. Because God's intent was celebrate at the manger and experience the thrill and then go back to work and make a difference in the world that you live in. Life, unfortunately, has to be lived every day. I love Sundays, and I pretty much hate Mondays. I don't, I don't hate Mondays, really, but there's so much energy expended on Sunday that you can't live here. Monday comes, and uh, is Pastor Nathan nearby? I don't know. He might be getting a drink. There he is over there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not glory hallelujah on Monday. Um, sometimes it's not even glory hallelujah on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> When you get through, because life can't be lived there. Can't, it was never intended to be lived there. It was intended to get a refreshing and a refilling. And why do we not get it again? Because we think that's the end of the journey. We think that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about speaking in tongues. It's not. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit is about speaking in tongues so you'll be empowered to take a message to a lost and dying world. That's what it's about. We've forgotten the end of the journey. And if we were engaged in the journey all week long, telling people in the workplace what our God had done, we'd come here saying, God, fill me up again. Refill me. I've got a world that I need to reach. I've got a workplace that I need to touch. Are you praising God at work? Oh, I didn't come here for that. <laughs> Some of you aren't even praising God at home. This is what happens when you look at me like this. This is what happens. This is what happens. You shout, then I, I, I don't know what to do. It's one thing to praise him here. Another thing to praise him at home. It's one thing to praise him here. It's another thing to praise him on the job. You don't know who I work for. Let me tell you a secret. I don't care if you work for Lucifer. And some of you probably do. <laughs> do you know what Jesus said? I will build my church and the gates of hell. Are you hearing me? The gates of hell will not prevail. And if God, whoo, I'm liable to jump right here. If God has put you next door to Lucifer. Think what he's doing for the kingdom. You could lead Lucifer to Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because we've all got to go back to work. We've got to do the work of the kingdom. One of my favorite scriptures, and I, I, I can't prove this, is when Paul writes to Timothy. And Paul's letters were often, not always, but often in response to questions, sometimes initiated by him. And, but he says to Timothy something. He says, do the work of, evan of an evangelist. And I thought, why would he say that? Because I imagine Timothy was just saying, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Then do the work of an evangelist. Well, I'm not gifted. Then do the work. You know what I've discovered? There's some people that intuitively have gifts. The rest of us have to work. There are a few people that can just go to school and absorb information by sitting at a desk and get a four point. I hate those people. <laughs> some of us have to do the work. I wish, I wish I could take this and lay it on my head and hum. Hum. And get up quoting scripture. I have a photographic memory. I've just never found film for the camera. <laughs> but when I do, my life is going to be so much easier. And so will my wife's when I can remember things. You do the work. Is anybody hearing me? Well, it's hard for me to memorize. Too bad. Do the work. Do the work because the power of God comes to empower you to go back to work and tell the message of the manger in the place where you live. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. <laughs> the shepherds, oh, this is really good. I felt like God dropped this in my heart, and I think this is for someone here. I want you to listen to me. I want everybody to listen right now. This, isn't, this is a moment I want you to hear. You can put your shoes on, but keep listening. The shepherds 
found the fulfillment of their vocation at the manger. You'll find the fulfillment of your vocation at the manger. I said, you'll find the fulfillment of your vocation at the manger. You won't find it on the job, you'll find it at the manger. You won't find it in a raise, you'll find it at the manger. You'll find the fulfillment of everything you do, not in the joys of life, but in the supernatural power of the manger. Let us go and see, let us go and tell, and then let us go back to work. Could we stand together? Here's what I want to do, and I, I'm, I'm not going to call you out. I, I'm not going to ask. I, I thought about giving an altar call. How many of you work for Lucifer? <laughs> but I, I don't want to know that because I, I, I didn't want any of the staff to respond. Because <laughs> then I'd have to fire him, but that's another story. But if you're in a place that's empty and dry, Here's what I want you to see. God gave his greatest revelation to those who are serving him without a manifestation for 400 years. To that faithful group of people, he brought the first announcement of his glory. And wherever you live, you need, you need to go and see and you need to go and tell tell it at work. We're going to sing in just a moment, and when we do, I want you to ask God to give you a fresh heart for where you work. Okay? You say, well, I don't work outside the home. Listen, I know well enough, don't ever say to a woman who doesn't work out of the home, she doesn't work, because she'll let you experience what that looks like. <laughs> it might be that your home is your workplace. I don't care where it is but I need a fresh, in fact, heads bowed, eyes closed. I just, I feel God in this moment. No one's looking around, but you need, wherever that is, you need a fresh touch from God for your workplace. I want you to lift up your hand. You just need a fresh vision for your workplace. Hands going up all around. In a moment, as we worship, as Pastor Nathan leads us, this is what I believe. He's gonna give you a fresh touch for your workplace. He's gonna give all of us a fresh touch for our community and our world. Can we take a minute and just lift his name? As old things have passed away Your love has stayed the same Your constant grace remains the cornerstone that we thought were dead are bringing in life again you cause your sun to shine on darkest night for 
all that you've done, Lord, I will pour out my love. This will be my anthem song. Say, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Oh, Jesus, this morning we've gathered to celebrate your revelation to the shepherds. We've gathered together to celebrate joy. And I pray, God, for those who, whose joy tank is empty right now, that you, by your Spirit, will refill it. Please help us to not allow the toil of the season to steal from us the joy manger. Would you reflood, refill, refresh us with your joy in Jesus' name. And everybody said,